The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Well, these past few days have been another difficult time for so many people. I believe that the attacks on Paris have hit a nerve. It's not that uh, these are the most horrific uh, things that ISIS has done. We know that. After all, they killed over a hundred by suicide bombers in the middle of Ankara, Turkey. We know also of over 200 killed in the crash of that Russian airliner. They have uh, done more bombing in Lebanon, and there have been thousands of innocent people killed and maimed in Syria and Iraq, all at the hands of ISIS. And we have been at war, undeclared as it is, for 15 years. But the attack on Paris somehow is different. And I think perhaps it's different because it makes us think that perhaps this could happen to us. So we heard Becky read the Jesus saying in the gospel reflected in Mark, uh, warning of wars and rumors of wars and of earthquakes and all of these terrible things that have existed Throughout time, nothing much has changed. And we now are faced with our own time of war and conflict and tension and uncertainty. In a sense, we are entering, entering into or continuing, perhaps, in a winter of our own. It's easy to understand how people can get caught up with the idea of the end times. And that's what uh, this little gospel is often uh, used, or how it's often used, by those who would make predictions about the end of time. But there's a problem with that. That's not really the purpose of these apocalyptic writings. Apocalyptic writings are difficult because they use imagery, sometimes which are, are, is difficult to understand. I think in particular of the Revelation to John. We've heard so many uh, fundamentalist preachers preach about the end of the world using the imagery of the Revelation to John coming up with endless timelines and they argue amongst themselves about who has the right timeline. 
That's not what it's about. It's a call to be awake. It's a call to turn to your spiritual life, to draw nearer to God, because it's not about the end drawing near. It's about God drawing near. As we hear that gospel read, I think it's easy for us to understand how people could become very concerned about what all that might mean. And for those early Christians who heard that gospel read to them, it was for them also a warning to wake up. That gospel, it's believed, was written sometime between 65 to 75 of the Common Era. And remember that uh, there was a war against the Jews by the Roman Empire that resulted in the utter destruction of Jerusalem. And, of course, the destruction of the temple, which is referred to in today's reading. So for those Jews living in that particular time, they, were, they knew what persecution was. The days could not have been darker. It could have never been more perilous than the times in which they found themselves living. And they must have wondered, where is God? Where is God in all of this? It's interesting that uh, the end of that reading refers to the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, I know men should not talk about birth pangs because we know very little about it. But I think we can see in that uh, metaphor that the pain of birth is necessary for the new life that comes from it. So these writings uh, often point, I would say always point, to the possibility that comes after all of the torment and all of the war. So I think we need to keep that in mind as we, as we hear this reading today and as we think about what it might mean for us. The gospel reading that we have, uh, it occurs in Holy Week, that week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And you recall that earlier in that week, Jesus overturns the, the money changers' uh, tables in the temple. And in doing so, he is really disrupting the sacrificial system that is represented by the temple and by the money changing and all the animals that have been brought into the temple that have defiled it. The temple has gone the wrong direction, you might say, as some say about the church. The temple had gone a very bad direction with a lot of, lot of emphasis on making money by selling sacrifices to the people. And the people then would they'd change their money in the temple They'd get their sacrifice, give it to the priests, and it'd be offered to God. Well, Jesus was overturning all of that. And I think in doing so, it was a way for him to demonstrate to his disciples in a very visible way, don't rely on this, because this will pass away. And then, as they stand and look in awe at that beautiful building, and keep in mind that that was probably the most magnificent building that anyone at that time living in that place ever saw. It was truly magnificent. And they were standing in awe of that building. And Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon a stone. This building too shall fall. I think Jesus was telling them, as he tells us, don't rely on the powers of this world, no matter how magnificent they might look. Don't rely on a religious system, no matter how enticing it might be, but rather rely solely upon God, whose faithfulness never ends. 
It's sometimes hard for us to hear the good news in all of this. And I think part of the reason for that is because we sometimes confuse being in a good place in terms of our faith by how we feel. And that's deceptive. We should not trust our feelings. But rather, we must trust what we know about God. Now, some of you will remember that a favorite book of mine is one that was done by Martin Marty and his son, Micah. And this book is uh, it's called The Promise of Winter. On one side, when, it, when you open up any two pages, on one side is a picture that has been taken by Micah. It's, it's a black and white picture of some winter scene. And I must say that I'm, I'm very drawn to them. I like the, uh, the simplicity and the austerity of winter scenes, probably because I remember them from my childhood. But that's on one side. On the other side is a selection of the Psalms that, uh, that uh, Martin Marty, Micah's father, offers a reflection on. And the book is really wonderful because it's a reminder to us that we will have winters in our lives. There's no question about that. All of us know the barrenness, the sense of hopelessness, the feeling that everything around us is dead. We have our disappointments, our setbacks, our frustrations, at times of self-doubt, and times of depression and despair. Those are the winters that come into our lives, and we all experience them. And all of us will have a number of them. And for some, they are very, very difficult. We have all experienced that. And this idea of a promise in winter is the idea that it's not about how we feel in those times, but it's about remembering, waking up to the reality that God is in the midst of, of all of that. God is with us. We are never left alone. Marty uh, writes that we sometimes are too eager for an early spring. We want a quick fix to the situation we find ourselves in. And, and he says... Uh, to employ spring as the metaphor for whatever improves that condition would be to suggest that winter itself has no promise. Yet it does. The truth is that all of us need to be reminded that God is in the midst of our winters. The gospel calls us, I believe, over and over again to never lose sight of the faithfulness of God. God will be faithful, even when we cannot be faithful. We had our diocesan convention yesterday in Boston, and at the end of a very long day, the bishop read a letter from Dean Lucinda Laird. She's the dean of the American Cathedral in Paris. Uh, you might not know that we have nine Episcopal churches in Europe. They're a part of what is called the Convocation of Episcopal Churches in Europe. And the bishop's seat is in Paris at the American Cathedral. Dean Laird writes this. So many friends and colleagues have written in the last 18 months, expressing support, promising their prayers, and asking what they can do. I cannot tell you how incredibly important this has been to all of us at the American Cathedral. It is a very fearful time and we are still bewildered and unsure. Knowing we have prayers coming from around the world, that we have a cloud of witnesses, 
and that we are so inextricably connected in the body of Christ makes all the difference. What can you do? First of all, I ask your prayers for the victims, those who died and those wounded, for their families, for all those who have helped and are helping, and, and all who protect us, for the city of Paris and especially our cathedral community, for all those whose anger, fear, and hatred lead them to commit such acts, for hope, for light in the darkness, and for peace. Secondly, I urge you to give some serious thought to next steps. Your expressions of support are strong and genuine, but where do they go? We have all held each other up before, after the Charlie Hebdo shootings and after, for instance, 9-11, and shared a strong sense of unity. I am not sure where I'm going with this. I only mean that our prayers must lead us to action. Here in France, I respect, I expect there will be very, very strong anti-Muslim sentiment. And one thing we must do is stand with our Muslim brothers and sisters and foster conversation and understanding. I think we also need to work harder to care for the flood of refugees fleeing terror in their own countries, work for immediate care and for political solutions. You will need to find your own mission in the United States, but I know that it must involve continued dedication and commitment to making justice and making peace and being a light in the darkness. Thank you again, my brothers and sisters. I think in that we hear someone who realizes that God is present that in her winter and in the winter of those in Paris, in the winter of the lives of so many, there's a realization that God is present. I want to end with that first verse from the sequence hymn today. It seems so apt to all of this. O God of every nation, of every race and land, redeem the whole creation with your almighty hand. Where hate and fear divide us, and bitter threats are hurled. In love and mercy guide us and heal our strife-torn world. Amen. Amen.